Good afternoon, fiddle and pipe listeners. This episode's being posted a little later than usual because I am a procrastinator. And if you're a procrastinator like me, or if you want to start 2022 with some new habits, you should really check out this episode because this book was written for you. As a couple of reminders, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. I see that we have some new ratings, which is super rad. Thank y'all for rating us. The more ratings and reviews that we have, the more accessible that we are to other listeners. And if you enjoy this podcast and you think what we do is worth like a dollar and 25 cents a week, please consider joining us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash fiddle and pipe. There we post our happy hour podcast as well as outtakes and bloopers from each episode. In fact, I'm about to upload the bloopers from this episode, which if you enjoy our conversations about weather and Catherine's opinions on math, you really should check it out because they are hilarious. And if you want to see more Fiddle and Pipe content, you can always follow us on Instagram at Fiddle and Pipe. And then my personal page is at BM Ross Music and Catherine's is at Cat Flinch Flute. You can also find us on Facebook at Fiddle and Pipe Forum. And we're just going to keep it brief for you today. We hope everyone had a good holiday season. Stay safe with the pandemic continuing and grab a copy of Atomic Habits. Plug those headphones in, sit back, and listen to this week's episode. Hi, I'm Brittany Ross, and I play the fiddle. I'm Catherine Blinchin, and I play the pipe. And together, we are Fiddle and Pipe. Two classical musicians who are reading and discussing topics beyond the staff. So grab a book, take a seat, and tune in. recording i'm recording too and i'm pulling up my notes i hardly took any notes (laughs) because i am an overachiever i think i'm exactly the kind of person that this book is marketing towards creating better habits (laughs) yes that's me too we are starting our new book today we are we are reading atomic habits by james clear and it was with a clear mind that I read this book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. New year, new book. I mean, technically, it's 2022, so new year, new book. When this releases. Yeah, technically, this is December 27th, 2021. So I am in the past. Yeah, currently, we're in the limbo of time between Christmas and New Year's where time has no meaning. Yes, and you, listener, are in the future, so... Congrats. Yeah, congratulations. Should we start off with a definition? My very first note, actually, is definitions galore. <laughs> I don't know Go why. Because I, I don't really down. have notes, so... Oh, you don't have any notes, so... I feel very terrified of having notes, and I just feel like I have responsibility now, and I'm scared. I don't feel like I am up for the task. (laughs) We start off with a definition, and it is atomic. And the first definition for atomic is an extremely small amount of a thing, the single irreductible unit of a larger system. The second definition... Your mom's an irreductible unit of a larger system. Wow. Where'd you get that? (laughs) From eighth grade? Leave me alone. (laughs) I don't know. I'm not good with insults. The second definition, the source of immense energy or power. And then we have habit. The definition of habit, a routine or practice performed regularly. 
Ugh. I can't say words today regularly. An automatic response to a specific situation. So now we know what the title means. We start off with the introduction where basically he tells us that he was in a horrific freak baseball accident where I guess his teammate, the bat slipped out of his hand or something and basically it crushed his face. Oh. To the point where he was having seizures and he was basically kind of touch and go there for a second. Yeah. For what, like a night he had to go into a medically induced coma? Yeah, and he basically spent months of rehabilitation basically Mm -hmm. doing basic things, like walking in a straight line. He went from being a baseball player to someone, I think, actively considering doing professional baseball Mm -hmm. to someone who had to get completely rehabilitated and had to learn how to walk again. From the very first moment where he talks about, I got hit by a baseball bat to the moment of, okay, now I'm learning how to walk in a straight line again. Those events just, like, accelerated fast to that point. Yeah, it went from zero to 100 real fast. Here's the first paragraph. Introduction, my story. On the final day of my sophomore year of high school, I was hit in the face with a baseball bat. And I was reading that, and I was like, oh, that sucks. Huh. As my classmate took a full swing, the bat slipped out of his hands and came flying toward me before striking me directly between the eyes. And I was like, oh, wait, this sounds serious. Where was he positioned? Like, that's where I want to know. Where were you? And he says, I have no memory of the moment of impact. So it's like, oh, (sighs) you realize every single sentence just how severe this is. Well, can you imagine also if he was on the field and that happened, he's probably not wearing a helmet because when you're on the field, you're not wearing helmet unless you're up to bat. So, also, he had no helmet on. Like, that, ooh. Just, ooh. Whenever I watch, hear anything about, like, concussions or broken bones or anything, I just cringe. It makes me cringe inside, just knowing, like, the impact and everything that follows. It just freaks me out. I don't know why. Do you think he was, like, third base? Probably. Because if you think about it, if you're standing at... Assuming that they're right-handed, they're going to hold the bat this away, and if it swings, it's either going to aim, fly towards pitcher or third base, right? Probably. Yeah, that's what I would assume, pitcher or third base. But the amount of power behind that for the bats to just make a straight beeline towards someone's face. Guess my other guess would be he would be at the catcher. But catchers wear base guards. Yeah, that's the thing, though. Never mind. I didn't even think about yeah. Ugh. He must have not been wearing a face guard of any kind. Ugh. Terrifying. Mm-hmm. He basically talks about after he goes through rehab and everything, he begins baseball again, but instead of going into the varsity team like he expected to be, he's in, in the junior varsity team with like freshmen mm-hmm. and sophomores when he was like a junior. He talks about how if he wanted to get better at baseball again, he would have to make changes for himself and make shit happen, basically. He began college at Denson University. So I guess this injury happened when he was a junior because two years after his injury, he began college. He earned a spot on the baseball team, and he was trying to get his life in order, I guess, still recovering from the accident. I mean, something like that probably takes years to recover from. Yeah, I would expect he was still going through that, but also he said that he was starting off small habits to do that would help him with baseball mm-hmm. in the later season, like sleeping earlier, 
having a cleaner space, improving study habits, lifting weights, just bettering mm-hmm. himself. <laughs> yeah, and he eventually became like an all-American baseball player and had straight A's and was just kind of went from zero to hero. Yeah. He eventually made a decision to become a writer and start his own business. And he's like, if I can do it, then you can do it too. Yeah, basically it's just like, this is how I wrote this book. This is what this book is going to be about kind of deal. Yeah. So let's get into the (laughs) fundamentals. So this first chunk of the book addresses why tiny changes make a big difference. Tiny, tiny, tiny. I actually liked this. I'd never heard of this kind of strategy, the aggregation of marginal gains. Yeah. I liked how mathy it was. It like yeah. really resonated with me. <laughs> I really hate math, but I really liked math in this little format. <laughs> Just... I really like applied mathematics. I love math in real time, but I mm-hmm. hate math when I'm like... A train is leaving Berlin at 60 (laughs) miles an hour, and then the second train leaves Berlin at 70 miles an hour. At what point will they intersect each other? Have you ever used a word math problem in any real-life situation? (laughs) Like, that's what I want to know. Sometimes I try to do algebra in real life, where I'm trying to find, like, a percentage of something, or if I'm trying to multiply something, but then I always do it wrong because I don't remember how to do algebra. I mean, to be fair, if you gave me a sheet full of algebraic questions, I'm going to sit there and ask for like a formula sheet and maybe like a diagram how to figure out the formula. I don't know. I'm really concerned for when David and I have kids and I have to help them with math because Uh, I'm only going to get them so far. They're going to come to me and I'm going to be like, I have I don't. You know what? Good luck. Here's a snack. Uh, I made you a pot of coffee. Thoughts uh, and prayers, buddy. Fend for yourself. That's why you have cats. Do you think my cats are good at math? I think they're good at asking for attention. And Oh, I thought you meant the kid would ask the cats for math help. I'm like, they're going to be worse than me. A <laughs> Bartok can't count. Bartok can't count. So what is the aggregation of marginal gains? What is the strategy, Brittany? Do you know? I don't know. You, you tell me. I know what it is. So basically what it means is that you are searching for a tiny margin of improvement in everything. And mm-hmm. basically this guy named Dave Brailsford, um, he was hired by the British cycling team and he used the strategy to improve their team by like everything. From figuring out, like, what are the best massage practices for recovery after they probably train, the clothing types that are best whenever they're inside tunnels, if they're outside in certain scenarios, I guess, due to weather changes or Mm -hmm. conditions. Aerodynamics. Yeah, like, everything. Dieting habits, sleeping habits, all that junk. And it basically led the British cycling team to be awesome. They won the Olympics like a few years or a few cycles in a row and they had bikers that won the Tour de France and this was after having well, a hundred year drought basically. Yeah, the 20th century was not their jam. <laughs> <laughs> like, no thanks. 
so this section, the fundamentals, is broken up into three different chapters. And this first chapter basically addresses not underestimating the significance of small changes. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that. Because I feel like that's something that, you know, if you just do... I do this myself, too. I'm like, if you just get out there and do the thing, and you do the thing consistently, that's mm-hmm. what matters. And I feel like that's what this whole chapter was about. Yeah, no, that's literally what it was about. I mean, I can attest to that because I've been there where I've thought in years past, I really want to be healthy and I want to work out and I want to, you know, do that on a daily basis. And then one magical day of last year or maybe the year before, it was sometime during the pandemic, maybe before the pandemic, but I would get up early every morning like at 5 a.m. and work out and it just became something that was consistent now I get up at 5 a.m. involuntarily (laughs) and I like this morning I was awake at five and I just laid in my bed I'm like I don't want to work out can I please sleep in (laughs) so I slept instead well I tried to but I'll work out again tomorrow (laughs) for my habit that was another really good thing that this chapter brought up So there's a ton of emphasis on, you know, making small changes doesn't really do much in the short term, but in the long term, they add up, especially if they're done consistently. Mm -hmm. It's the same with bad habits. Letting a bad habit or bad decision slide is not a big deal. Like, you know, sleeping in today, it's not going to ruin your exercise routine. But if Mm -hmm. you do it consistently, so if you do it, you know, the whole week, the whole month, That's when it becomes a big deal. He said later in this chapter, I think, or maybe it was another chapter, I can't remember, that you kind of have to imagine that the two options that you have are two political parties, and it's about which one you're casting your vote for, and at the end of the day, week, month, year, whatever Mm -hmm. time frame you're thinking of, it's about which one has more of the majority vote. Mm -hmm. Which action you are doing more frequently is the habit that you will build. Mm-hmm. So if one day of the week you're like, I ain't feeling it today. Yeah. You have six other days to do it. As long as you actually do it. Exactly. And just because I didn't get up early to work out doesn't mean I'm going to do it. Like, I'm going to probably go on a run after we record today. Just, yeah. you know, enjoy the fresh air and 36 degree, sunny, dry, non-snowy weather. Not that I'm bitter. I really want snow. Anyway. If you want more of our uh, weather takes, check out our Patreon. <laughs> Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. I really like this quote that he wrote down. Good habits make time your ally, bad habits make time your enemy. Mm -hmm. It's true, though, because I've had bad habits in the past where I've noticed that I've been wasting time, not being productive on my time, and that what causes my stress. So Yeah, he talks about how habits, positive habits and negative habits, can either way they compound and it's like how how money compounds in like a savings account talking about interest how like when you build interest over time like when you start a small habit it builds over time to mm-hmm. basically more like a lifestyle it feels like yeah and he also talks about what progress is really like in the sense that there are no instant changes and it makes me think of instant gratification and that's something i talk a lot about with my students and with David and basically everyone in my life is how people have the innate desire to have things 
done instantly. We don't like putting work into things, and we want any kind of effort to make an instant change, and we get really discouraged when that's not the case. Mm -hmm. But with most things, it's progress over time. He uses the example of, I've been running every day for a month, so why can't I see any change in my body? It's easy to let good habits just fall by the wayside if you have that kind of perspective, because it's about, I don't know. If you want to drop 10 pounds and you exercise really intensely for a month, you're not going to do it. But if you exercise, what am I trying to say? Exercise. (laughs) Exercise. Sorry. I think you're trying to say that basically it takes time. Like, there's a certain amount of progress between, like, your starting day and a month if you're running. Like, Mm -hmm. you might not see the results physically, like, oh, like, I lost weight, but you might have gained a little bit more endurance in that one month. Like, okay, I can run, like, from this distance to this distance a little bit, like, further than what I usually did when I first started out. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. But over time, more than a month, maybe you'll start noticing more changes. Like, you can run a lot longer. You are losing a little bit more weight. I think a lot of people fall in love with the end result and don't want the work. And we talked about that previously. Mm -hmm. Wasn't it with that the inner game of music? Or was it? Yeah, the inner game of music, how you need to love the result. Mm -hmm. No, you need to love the work. Love the process. That was it. Love the process. Love the process. Oh, yeah. We're trying to get back into it. We read that book, what, almost a year ago? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was our first book. Yeah. The last point that he makes in this chapter is saying that we need to focus less on goals and more on systems. Yes. Systems is what he calls the process of getting to the goal. Like, okay, so, like, I just ran a 10-miler race. I ran it with Valky. So, in order to do that, I was like, what are the boxes that I need to check in order to make this an actual thing that I'm going to do instead of just something I'm going to say I'm going to do? Mm-hmm. So, systems are what you need to do to hit the goal. It's like practicing a piece or if you want to learn a new Mm. piece, what is your goal to like finally hit that performance level? Maybe if it's something technical, practicing your scales, your technique. If it's working on your tone. The answer is always scales. (laughs) The answer is always scales. I'm going to be honest with you. I love practicing scales. I can practice scales for an hour and have a good time. I know that sounds really terrible, but... Makes you sound like a really boring person, but you're not wrong. I am a really boring person. (laughs) (laughs) But I really love playing my scales. I hate B major, and I'm starting to really love A flat major. I know that's a little weird, but you know. I'd rather have sharps and flats any day. It's kind of a string player perspective, though. Yeah, yeah. And I tell that to a lot of my students because I introduce them sometimes to G major, and they're like, I hate F sharp. I'm I like, love it's not F that bad. <laughs> F-sharp is the only note I know how to play. <laughs> That's B-flat <laughs> for us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I really love, I don't know, just the way that this book was written, I felt like really resonated with me. I finished the first two sections that we talked about and that we're going to talk mm-hmm. about today. And I literally ran up to David and I was just like, you need to read this. This is a good book. It's a really I'm going to be honest with you. Okay, so before we go into chapter two, so on page 19 of this book, there is this like compound chart, I guess I'm going to call it. And it's divided into two columns. One's positive compounding. The other is negative compounding. And the positive compounding's, uh, I guess, categories are productivity, knowledge, and relationships. The negative ones are stress, negative thoughts, and outrage. And I was like, 
Oh my god, I'm this entire negative column. You are? That is my life right now. Because, <laughs> like, with the stress compounds, it's, like, all this stress, like, what starts out small grows into, like, larger, like, basically health issues where you're stressed out all the time. And I'm like, yeah, right. it's me. And then the negative thoughts, that's also me. And then the outrage, mostly when I'm driving, because I deal with a lot of dumbass drivers here in Denver. I'm outraged. But that's me. <laughs> the one thing I wanted to say before we slide into chapter two, he mentions the point that goals are good for a general idea of direction, mm-hmm. like what way you want to go with whatever you want to do. But people get too caught up in the specifics of the goals. And it's like what we talked about. Was it the subtle order not giving a fuck? Or was it the, I think it might have been the inner game of music where, no, I think it was the subtle art. Where people set a goal, and then they meet the goal, and then they don't know what to do after. I feel like it might have been inner game of music. Really? Because he says that focusing on systems more will continue to carry you into whatever trajectory that you set for yourself. Instead of instead of just meeting goals. Mm-hmm. And trying to fixate your happiness on a goal, I suppose. Yeah, no, and we can talk about this because I think this comes up again later down the road. Yeah. But it kind of reminds me of, so I just paid off my car. One, I am just, I feel like a whole... New person. Bag of, yeah, I feel like a whole new person. I feel like this giant cloud of stress is gone. Congrats on paying off your car. Thank you. And that was like my goal, but I approached it, I think, the wrong way. I think part of it was because I had a lot of pressure on me to get it paid off really fast. And so that's all I focused on for the last, like, year. And I think that... So you're kind of like, what now? Yeah. What now? I need to get my emissions test. And then I need to get my title just over to my name solely. <laughs> that's what I need to do this week. But I have spent the entire year, and I think this is part of the reason why I've been so stressed and just not happy because I've been working a lot to get this paid off and that's all I've been focused on again that was like the only thing I was thinking about was I want to get my car paid off I want to get paid off I want to get paid off and now that I have it paid off I'm like what do I do now (laughs) did all this work like I'm just kind of asking myself like what is there to save up for now do I need to work as much as I did Because to be very fair, like, I am a little bit low on my bank account, but I'm also sitting Mm -hmm. there and I'm like... But it doesn't feel as intense. It's not like hanging over your head and critical. We just went through the same thing because we generated a lot of credit card debt during COVID. Mm -hmm. And we paid off both of our cards, I think, a month ago. Mm Mm-hmm. Which was fantastic. Yeah, that's awesome. But I was still doing deliveries and stuff, and David was like why are you still doing this? And I was like, oh, you know, we need to build up our savings. He's like, you know what? Your music stuff is doing better. I'm doing well at work. He's like, I think you can lay off the deliveries unless we get bad again. So it's kind of the same as you where I needed that outside reassurance to be like, hey, we're going to be okay. And I'm currently not doing deliveries and it's amazing. That's good. So not killing yourself for work is really important. Mm-hmm. goal setting financially is really weird because you feel like you're always like there's always one thing after the next and there's always going to be one thing after the next but I guess it's 
when Asana's pressing, it's like, when can you lay off that gas pedal a little bit? Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't think it has to be that pressing either. Like, that's the thing, because I have always thought of it as a pressing matter. Like, I have to get this paid off. I have to get this paid off. Like, ASAP. And so I have to work my ass off to -hmm. where I'm basically looking like a decrepit 80-year-old woman at 10 a.m. in the morning and everyone's asking if I'm okay and I'm like sitting there in my mind saying no not really I know it's not but on the outside I'm like everything's fine and there's a fire going on behind me um it's like that dog in that cartoon well I guess like for me when I was like reading this I feel like yeah I've been focused more on hitting the goal not really focusing on the process like I I kind of wish that like like what healthy financial habits can I get from this that way I'm not in this position again or if I am can I do how can I be efficient with my finances but also like not stress myself out and working to the death doing it if that makes sense right that's something I struggle with too so yeah The ending of this chapter, I kind of like how he says, habits are the small building blocks that lead to overall self-improvement, just like atoms are small building blocks to living things. Mm -hmm. And I'm just sitting there like, ooh, how catchy for a title, for a concept, Atomic Habits. How catchy of you, James Clear. Hey, you look kind of peppy. I am peppy because I just drank a cup of coffee from La Belle Rosette Espresso and Wine Bar. That's in Denver, right? Yep. We are located right across the street from the University of Denver. And do they have more than just espresso and wine? Yeah, we have breakfast burritos, paninis, pastries, teas. We have a lot. If someone was walking through Denver and let's say this person was me and let's say I wanted a panini, when is LaBelle open so I can go and get one? We are open from 7 to 5 Monday through Friday, 7 to 2 on Saturdays, 8 to 2 on Sundays. And if you use the code FPPODCAST, you'll get 15% off your order, whether you're in store or online at LaBelleRosette.com. That's a really good deal. Totally a good deal, and it's even a better deal when you get to see moi at the store. Is that a good deal? Uh, not really, but I actually need to head to work right now because I'm gonna be late. Oh, so I'm gonna go. Go to La Belle Rosette. Go. Bye. Right now. Drop <laughs> everything. Go. Let's slide into chapter two. How habits shape your identity? This is not something I ever thought of. Uh, this is the Shrek chapter. Ogres are like onions. (laughs) I think he was inspired by Shrek. I could be wrong, but... Who wasn't inspired by Shrek? Who's never inspired by Shrek? Like, Shrek is... Especially people our age. I can understand, like, you know, Gen Z not being inspired by Shrek, but us? How do we not have a Shrek world here? There's a Shrek world in Singapore. I believe it's in Singapore. But they have, like... terrifying. You know how Disney World has the castle? This mm-hmm. place has the swamp. <laughs> so Shrek's swamp house is like the landmark. <laughs> I love it. I think I would love to go. I would love to go. <laughs> what are the three layers of behavior change? The onion. So onions. <laughs> onions is one layer. The onions are the second layer. And the onions are the third layer. It's all <laughs> onions. All you need is onions. Mmm, onions. onions. Want to get some Funyuns after this? Actually, I'm making homemade onion rings today, so I'm Ooh, excited for that. 
Mm, his diagram is a circle and it has three layers from outside to inside. It's outcomes, processes, and identity. Outcomes is changing your results, like losing weight, publishing a book, winning a championship. And he says that most of the goals you set are associated with this level of change. So it's like the face value, like what's your literal goal? Mm-hmm. The second layer is changing your process, which is changing your habits and systems, implementing a new routine at the gym, decluttering your desk for a better workflow, developing a meditation practice. It's associated with the habits that you build to meet the goal. The third layer, so this is the core. I didn't think of onions. I thought of like the earth layers, the core of the earth. And oh, the, you could think of it like that too. Whatever, dirt, and then the mantle. <laughs> He literally says, you can imagine them like the layers of an onion. This is on page 30. Underneath Overs that little three like layers onions. of behavior change. <laughs> and I immediately, in my notes, put down, JC goes into Shrek mode and dissects the three layers of behavior change into a diagram of an onion. I should color it as an actual onion in my picture. Anyway, continue. I feel like you should put that on Instagram. Challenge accepted. Continue. <laughs> So the third and deepest layer is identity. It's concerned with changing your beliefs, your worldview, your self-image, your adjust, your judgments about life. Oh my God. Why am I putting words in that aren't existing? Your judgments <laughs> about yourself and others. Most of the beliefs, assumptions, and biases you hold are associated with this level. I was like, this is a little, eh, a little tacky for me. I was like, identity for habits? What is this nonsense? But he talks about how a lot of people change their habits by focusing on what he calls the outer layer. So the outcome, we're very goal focused instead of why do I want to do this thing? And who do I want to be? The who do I want to be really resonated with me. And mm-hmm. that's making something an identity based habit instead of an outcome based habit. Can I share something? Because I really no. liked this chapter. And oh. Yeah, yes, yes, of course. <laughs> I was trying to think of scenarios where I related to this, and I think one way that I related to this was towards the end of my undergrad into grad school mm-hmm. years where I really wanted to be taken seriously as a musician and really focus being a musician and really elevating my skill level and my interest and showing people that, like, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And I think I really did that. At least here, because like I think ever since I moved here to Denver, I just feel like I've been taken more seriously here. Is that weird? Is that... I feel like mm-hmm. sometimes that's a little bit cocky to say. I feel like that's just your low self-esteem kicking in. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Was that a little bit too... <laughs> yeah it is (laughs) but I do think that I've been taken more seriously here because I have went into grad school I just remember that's all I focused on I eat breathe Mm -hmm. I slept music there were days where I showed up to class or rehearsal looking really nice because I wanted to show people like I'm professional looking and I am treating this class like it's serious or I'm treating this rehearsal like it's serious and I'd be prepared like I put in habits where I practiced like early in the mornings, like I got up early in the morning, ate like a good breakfast and went to the practice room every single morning to get things done and show people like I'm dedicated, if that makes sense. Right. But it became my identity. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I think right now I'm going through an identity crisis (laughs) 
to where I'm trying to discover things outside of just flute. Right. But I definitely felt like, okay, I had this goal back in undergrad that I wanted to become a flutist. I wanted this to be my career and I wanted to be taken seriously. And that was like early in undergrad. That was when I changed my degree to performance major. And I think those years from like late undergrad into grad school and even after really Mm -hmm. like transferred over from like practicing three hours a day to now doing this full time. It's insane how you can turn into something that you want to be. That's just something I wanted to share. I, yeah, it's weird. Yeah. It's all about what you want to be and that will carry you farther than just meeting a goal. And Mm -hmm. it basically puts your morals behind it. I started getting a lot more serious about exercising. I've considered myself a runner for a long time. But in the last few years, I have really wanted to do a marathon at least once in my life. And I... Sorry, I'm, like, thinking as I'm speaking. (laughs) Yeah, I was trying to figure out what I was trying to say about this whole identity thing earlier. I was like, how do I say this? Because... Yeah. (sighs) I've became a better runner by thinking of myself as an athletic person and not just someone who enjoys running. You kind of have to, though. I mean, that's the thing. Because when I was practicing like when I was starting my routines of practicing at 7 a.m. in the morning before I did like an 8 a.m. class in undergrad because that's what I did that's how I kind of started my early morning practicing throughout the years but when I would go to the practice room I would kind of visualize myself like okay like if I were in the position of so-and-so and I always thought about my teacher what if I were my teacher at 7 a.m. in the morning what would I be doing practicing wise Mm -hmm. I kind of had to like think in that mindset Even when I was playing in rehearsals or if I was playing on a concert, I kind of had to think in the mindset of like, I am a professional flutist or I want to be a professional flutist. The decisions that you make affect the person that you are. And you need to believe that you are the person that you want to be in order to do the things consistently, Mm -hmm. I think is the, the point of it. Like I became a better runner when I started considering myself to be athletic because I started running more. I used to not be able to run more than five or six miles without basically getting runner's stomach, having really bad cramps, having diarrhea, having all that fun stuff. And I ran a 10-mile race, yeah. and I played a wedding gig on viola, and I played a holiday party on violin in the same day. And you survived. I might be insane, but <laughs> <laughs> I did something. Yeah. I did something that was really cool. And when I considered myself to be more athletic, I started working out more, too. Like, I Mm -hmm. do weights now, and I love it. Isn't it weird? Because, like, I never expected to be doing something like that (laughs) for her. Neither did I. Like, weight training? Yeah, I love doing stuff like that. And It really helps. I love my body. I love who I am. It helps with music, too, because the stronger that you are physically and mentally... Mm Mm-hmm. It helps who you are as a musician, and I've considered myself a musician for a long time. I guess that's why I thought about other things besides music, is because I've considered myself a musician for so long. 
That was just one thing I just thought of just now. Oh, really? Yeah, because I love being a runner, and that's what I do for fun. I started out as a habit when I was in high school for fun. Mm -hmm. Like, I just wanted to run one day, and that's what happened, and I just ended up doing it every afternoon for an entire year when I was in high school. ended up being kind of like a habit that I do on a daily basis. I wouldn't call myself like a runner where I do a lot of 5Ks and stuff because I don't do that. I don't really have the time to do that because half the time I'm working when 5Ks happen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then other times I just, you know, I just don't have the time to be really honest. But I do run on a regular Mm -hmm. basis. I usually run up to like five to seven miles most of the time and it's enjoyable. Which isn't something to laugh at. I mean, it's, I enjoy it. Like that's long distance running. So yeah, I enjoy it. Like give me a playlist and I'll run to it. But I mean, what was I trying to say? (laughs) I don't know. I think of it in different ways. Like there's one part of me that's like my flute self. And then Mm -hmm. I have another part of me that's like my runner self. And then I have the other part of me that's the puzzle self, because right now I'm into puzzles, and so my identity is turning into an 80-year-old woman. (laughs) You want to (laughs) pick up knitting, too? I cannot knit, but... I always thought that knitting looked fun. You know, if I find the time and my (laughs) back goes out, I will learn how to knit. (laughs) I think another reason why I like this book so much is because he takes concepts that are difficult to put in the words. Like, clearly you and I really like this book but we're sitting here and like how do I put my thoughts into words and he does it very well this is why we don't write books (laughs) this is why we just play music and read books I did like this quote becoming the best version of yourself requires you to continuously edit your beliefs and to upgrade and expand your identity I find that very true in music actually because it's kind of like how even when you're done with music school you never really are done with learning music Mm mm-hmm and, I mean, you really are not done. I mean, it's kind of why we started this podcast was because we have the tools to carry ourselves forward. Yeah. But we continue learning outside of the practice room, which is like yeah. a whole MO. Exactly. There's so much more in a music career than just playing music. I don't think you really experience it for real, for real, until you are completely out of school. Because I remember hearing Mm -hmm. this a lot when I was in school. I knew that this was going to happen, but I don't think it was until, like, I actually experienced it where I was like, wow, this is very true, especially this year, because I haven't been able to practice or play at all. Somehow I've been managing to pull it off, so great. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, I'm like, there's so much more that I'm doing with music that's not involving my playing, especially right now, like... I think I've been working more on podcasting <laughs> and teaching yeah. more than practicing and playing, which I need to switch very soon. So I need to start creating good habits for that, which is yeah. why I think it's good that I'm reading Atomic Habits anyway. Chapter three, how to build better habits in four simple steps. Could be with practicing. <laughs> what are these four steps? What do you do? What you do? How to do the thing? <laughs> so there are four processes the first process is the cue which is basically a cue ball yeah billiards pool i suck at that (laughs) i suck at pools so much i am bad at pool i rely on sheer luck and i know it's math and angles and velocity but i don't get it because i'm a dummy 
This is so dumb. I just remember I played pool at a youth group party, <laughs> mm-hmm. which tells you how PG it was. It was at this party, and mm-hmm. one of my friends brought their friend over to the party, and I thought their friend was really cute. So I was like, I'm going to get near this person and play pool with them. <laughs> Catherine getting it on at a youth group party. I was All right. being a super awkward teenage girl. I'd never go back. I'd never go back. I just remember I was playing pool, and they were, like, helping me, and I was like, yes, this is what I want. And they're, like, whispering in my ear, it's all geometry. And I'm like, fuck, I hate geometry. (laughs) (laughs) That's the opposite of what I wanted to hear. Long story short, that never became a thing afterwards. (laughs) It wasn't the geometry thing, but I just kept remembering that pool is all geometry. (laughs) He's not wrong. (laughs) I hated geometry. I never learned anything in that class. I just remembered that my teacher had this horrible tramp stamp. And that was it. <laughs> and this is why Catherine's bad at geometry. Don't ask me about angles. Don't ask me about any of that crap. <laughs> Parabolas. I don't know. <laughs> so it's cue, craving, response, and reward. This are the four processes of building a habit. Your cue craves a response. You're responding to the cue basically. And you're craving the reward. I kind of think about like, okay, the cue, if I'm hungry, for instance, the cue is my stomach is growling and I am hungry. And the craving is like, what do I want to eat? If I smell something, like maybe I'm craving pizza. (laughs) And then my response is I make the damn pizza. I heat up my oven to 400 degrees. Yes. I heat up my oven to 400 degrees and I put my California peach and margarita chicken pizza into the oven and I wait 11 to 15 minutes for it to heat up. <laughs> Y'all need a lot then, of frozen pizzas. <laughs> this is what happens when you live with a child who loves frozen pizzas. You have a lifetime supply every week that goes away <laughs> very fast. And your reward is the pizza. (laughs) I don't know why we're trying to explain it ourselves. I'll just say what's in the book. The cue triggers your brain to initiate a behavior. Yeah, and the craving is the motivation behind the habit. Mm -hmm. Response is the actual habit that you perform, and the reward is the end goal of everything, basically. Like, it's what you get. I get my pizza. You always need to get the reward, and... So basically, you're always going to be presented for cues, and this doesn't always have to be something as labor-intensive as, like, making a pizza. I mean, your cue can literally be your phone vibrating. Your craving can be wanting to know what's in the message. Your response Mm -hmm. is picking up your phone and reading the message and typing it out. Reward is knowing what the text was and then responding to, you know, getting communication from another person. Yeah. It could be something as simple as answering a text to something as complex mm-hmm. as, like, learning a pizza or making a frozen pizza. It's not always positive, too. Here's a negative one. So your cue is you hit a stumbling block on a project at work. Your craving is you feel stuck and you want to relieve your frustration. Your response is to pull out your phone and check social media. Your reward is you're craving to feel relieved. You satisfied <laughs> it with checking social media, so you associate it with feeling stalled at work and needing a distraction. First world 2021 problems. The social media. (laughs) When I read the social media thing, I was like, this is our lives now. 
Like, that's literally all I thought about. You're cute or you're, I don't, I really don't want to say triggered. Oh, yeah. That was, like, the one thing, too, because, like, it kept saying triggered and I was like, I can't think of another word to say. I guess, like, initiates or sparks. Yeah, you always kind of have, like, an opening, basically. Mm -hmm. And you always have some kind of passive or active action that's going to start this chain reaction. And you will always get a craving from a cue unless you don't know that cue. You've never seen that cue before, so your brain doesn't know how to respond. So then he goes into how to change behavior based on knowing that we're always going to get outside stimuli and that we're always going to get internal cravings to those reactions to those stimuli, essentially. So we can twist it to positively reinforce it and make a good habit by making the cues obvious, making the cravings attractive, making the responses easy, and the rewards satisfying. Yes. I like that. And that's basically what is broken up for the rest of the book. Our next section basically is going to be making it obvious. Yeah, talking about cues. And you can also do the inverse by breaking a bad habit, making the cues invisible, making the cravings Mm -hmm. unattractive, making the responses difficult, and the rewards unsatisfying. I liked that. I did not think about inverting it the other way and making it invisible. I did not think about that. Like, okay, how can I break a bad habit and transform it? I think that's what I'm excited to read further on in these chapters. I mean, I really like the book so far. So far, it's really good. New year, new me. (laughs) I hate that. I hate it when people say that. New year, same me. New year, same shit. (laughs) (laughs) I really like this. I think this is a good book to kind of start off this year in general because, I mean, regardless of the new year, same shit kind of deal. I do like to start off... At least trying to make something better. Yeah, like, what can I do to create, like, a better habit for myself or, like, a better lifestyle for myself kind of deal? That's what I always like to think about this time of year. Maybe that's the limbo period between Christmas and New Year's. We're trying to figure out what we want to do. Mm-hmm. How do we want to start off 2022? Yeah. Oh, I agree. Isn't that weird, too, that we're getting into that new year? Does not feel like it. But what do I know? When this episode airs, it's going to be in the future. So it will be in 2022. Yes, exactly. All right. Well, I guess we should call it a day and record our next section. Which y'all will hear next week. But we're recording now. We'll see y'all later. Next, we'll be reading the next three chapters. So chapters four, five, and six, which... Uh, and seven. And seven. The secret to self-control, because that's the entire second section. You're the secret to self-control. We're basically reading the entire section called The First Law. Make it obvious. So, obviously, that's what we're reading. (laughs) Wow, some sass from Catherine. I don't know! It's written on the page! On that note, we will see y'all next week. Bye. Bye, bye, bye.